The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about what happens to us when we die or what happens to us when we go into a coma. And you may say, well, what has that got to do with you know, prescriptions for healing conflict, but it has a lot to do with it because we have our own inner conflicts about whether we want to live or not. You know, there are people who wake up from comas and they, you know, had to make a decision about whether they wanted to come back or not. And there is that conflict within us. And so we're going to talk today with a wonderful author of this great book that I've just been reading, and it's called Between by Shelley Beckett. Let me tell you a little bit about Shelley. Shelley Beckett began writing poetry back in elementary school, and she finished her first novel, which was illustrated by a friend and un- unpublished, at the age of 10 years old. And she was fascinating. She was fascinated from just a very early age by ancient Greek and Roman worlds, and she received her Bachelor's of Arts degree in Latin and Greek from the University Akron, and followed by a Master's degree and uh, archaeology from the University of Cincinnati. And all of this kind of led her to many different things that she became inspired by mythology and um, her life's work, which we're going to find out a little bit about, um, led her to really write this novel called Between. And it's funny because she originally herself was skeptical about the paranormal But she spent most of her adult life leading classes in psychic spiritual development in many locations across the country. And so uh, we're going to talk to her about this book and about what uh, how she relates to this book and uh, about this whole issue of, you know, life after life, life between life and all these very fascinating issues. So thank you, Shelley, for joining us from Florida. Well, hello, Mari, and I, I hate to start with a correction, but it's oh. Shelby with Shelby. a B. You're right. Shelby. Yes, you're right. I, yes, I know that. It's Shelby. <laughs> oh, thank well, you. Well, it's not as common as Shelly, and a lot of people call me Shelby. No, and I, and I just, I know that, and I, and I was, it's funny. Okay, Shelby, thank you for, for recognizing that, and I'm Mari, because people call me different names, too. It's Mari like Marty without the T, so. Yes, I like that much better than Mary. Yeah. Yeah, so it's nice. let's go, Shelby. Let's talk about this wonderful book, Between. First of all, what inspired you to write this book? 
Oh my goodness, I started it so long ago that it's almost hard to remember. But I've I've been intrigued for a long time about what happens when we die, life after life, life after death, however you want to look at it. Um, and there is life after death uh, that I'm pretty convinced is true, and a lot of other people are uh, at this point. Uh, but I think what really led me into the whole area was um, the fact that I was a skeptic. I did start out as a skeptic. I was raised as a fundamentalist Christian, and I couldn't tolerate the God is love, but we everybody but us is going to go to hell uh, sort of attitude. And so I, I just eventually, when I got into grad school, I threw that out and threw out everything and became an atheist for about four years, which was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I had just mellowed into agnosticism, meaning I don't know what's there, but maybe something. And um, a friend of mine um, had said, well, come on and, and let's go to this sort of spiritual psychic study group, uh, which, by the way, was led by a Presbyterian minister and his wife, which was really interesting. (laughs) But it turned out to be a good thing because we were taught how to shield ourselves before opening up to try to receive any communications. Mm -hmm. And we would experiment with things um, once a week, uh, clairvoyance and telepathy and things of this nature. And when we got to what's called automatism or automatic processes, uh, of which channeling and mediumship are one, uh, and also automatic writing is maybe the most common one that people hear about, where you just sort of take preferably like a salt-tip pen because it moves easily, and you hold it lightly in your hand on a sheet of paper, and you ask for a communicator to write something. If you have a question, you ask the question, and if you don't, you just ask for some kind of communication. And most people get kind of squiggles or lines or it doesn't move at all, and I immediately started writing sentences. And so I discovered I had a real penchant for that and ability to to do that. And so I, it was very sloppy. Your hand doesn't lift, and so it doesn't dot the I's or cross T's or stop at the end of sentences. And so I thought, well, maybe I can do this on the typewriter, and it'll be easier to read. So I found I could, uh, people would start asking questions, and I would ask the question mentally to whoever was communicating. I didn't know who it was. Uh, and I, my hands would be typing away, and I could carry on a conversation. And when I got through, there was information there. Hmm. And as I said, I was very fortunate because, <clears throat> and this is something maybe I'll just drop in now, uh, <clears throat> when you open up to try to communicate as when you use a Ouija board, uh, for example, you are opening yourself up to all kinds of energies that are out there, and very many of them are not particularly positive, but they are looking for a voice or some someone to sort of go on to that they can utilize to still function in some way uh, at this level of existence. And so we were taught, <clears throat> excuse me, we always open with the Lord's Prayer, and then, uh, which at the time I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, because I didn't know what I thought of that. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then we were taught to ask for God's light to come down and surround us completely and to state that when we asked for a communicator, we asked for only that which came from the light. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And so that immediately creates a shield against these negative energies because the Ouija board, for example, is not a toy. Right. And people have gotten into trouble with this thing. You can get yourself into... I had a friend who was... uh, I don't know if you had ever noticed uh, in the 70s there was this beautiful glossy magazine called Psychic. Mm. And it was very high class in terms of what they covered. Uh, They would interview people like uh, the woman that... Um, channeled through the book and uh, the uh, Course in Miracles, for example. Oh, right, right. And uh, he was a friend of mine because we both, if, uh, strange to say, been in school and undergraduate school together in Latin and Greek. Mm. And he was one of the editors, and he said, I had written to him that someone had given my husband and me a Ouija board, and he said, don't do it, don't do it. He said, right. I was using one, and I got sort of possessed by this low-level entity, and it took me a long time to get rid of it, and the minute I did, I threw that thing down the garbage. Chute. Yeah, we threw ours out, too. <laughs> well, good for you, because, and, you know, if anybody's listening that mm-hmm. has played with it or thinks it's a toy for their kids, uh, please think twice about yeah, that, yeah. or teach yourself or whoever's going to use it how to shield themselves against some kind of intrusion like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, now I probably have lost my train of thought. Because I was asking question. you, yeah, my, my original <laughs> question is, you know, how did you get to, to decide to write this book? Oh, well, I think what I had learned from Jared, and uh, Jared is the name of the communicator that I made contact with. After a while, the typing, <clears throat> which was very platitudinous, you know, sort of love thyself, love thy neighbor kind of thing, shifted without warning after about three or four months, and it became very, very different in the way the writing presented itself and in the level of information that was given. And I found that people could ask questions and it would supply answers. And then finally I was told if I would sit quietly that it would speak through me, that communicator. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally got my nerve up to do that, in the meantime my husband, my first husband, had... um, known a friend who had taken the Silva Mind course, if anyone's familiar with that. It's sort uh-huh. of a psychic, very excellent psychic development course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought he was perceiving that this is a male entity and his name is Jared, J-A-R-E-D. And so when <clears throat> I finally got the nerve up to let this speaking take place, uh, my husband asked, is that your name? And he said, no, but I've had many names in many lifetimes, and you couldn't pronounce mine now probably anyway, so Jared's fine. So for 40 years, he has been Jared to us. And so the things that I would overhear, because I don't go into a full trance, I just go into an altered state where I kind of pull up in my head and do my best just to stay out of the way. It took me 15 years to figure out that was my job, was mm. just get out of the way and stay out of the way. But listening to him, overhearing what he was saying to people, and then forgetting the personal stuff later, but being able to retain the other spiritual information, um, brought me to a greater understanding of how I feel now and how he presents that the universe is constructed and how things are, uh, which included the fact that his teaching is that God is everything. There is nothing that is not God. Even the floor you're standing on is God. Right, right. And and that's a lot like unity and the science of mind. And, um, it it reminds, is indeed. Yeah, and it reminds me also of Edgar Cayce. Yes, and, absolutely yeah, so. Yeah. And, and in fact... Um, well, I can get into that later if you want to know more yeah. about Jared. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, 
what I would hear and what he would talk about, and sometimes people would, and he has to have questions. He is so big on not tampering with free will. He describes himself as a servant of what he calls the source, which most people think of as God, but he said, I use that term because then anyone from any religious belief can relate to it. It's the source of all things. Um, That he's a servant of the source. The source has given us free will as a sort of double-edged birth gift, and the source itself will not tamper with it, and therefore he certainly is not authorized to do it. And if he tells you something you haven't asked for, he is tampering. Yeah, yeah. And that's another reason he won't predict the future either, because right. he said that is tampering, and once you have said something, you've planted a seed that can't ever be uprooted. Right. And we all have lessons in here, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, so, yeah. you know, I mean, that's... Uh, so I, I've been lately. I've been thinking about this saying that I say to myself: when things don't go as I hope that they should, or I'm de- sorry about <clears> something, or it's been depressing, or something like that. I say to myself: this is not to me. This is for me. Oh, that's lovely. And that, I like that. Yeah, and that reminds me that it's part of the lesson that I'm supposed to learn in this. You know. In this incarnation, you know, yes, absolutely. Is, uh, so that that helps me if I go, okay, well, this isn't to me. This is really for me. And what's the gift in this? There must be something, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Let's I've, talk about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say Jared would agree, and so would I completely mm-hmm. with that. And so let's let's talk about this book. This is really pretty fascinating. Why don't you just tell kind of like the overall story about um, about your protagonist, Stacy? Okay. Well, it's it's sort of a complex plot, but basically, it's about this young healer whose name is Stacy Addison. She's in a coma due to a bad accident, and she wakes up between this world and the next. And when she finds she's out of her physical body in this place she doesn't really understand, she's frantic to get back to Earth in her own body to be reunited with her family. And her career as a healer is just starting to really open up, and she wants to get back to that. But in the meantime, there's this ominous, powerful being that I suppose could be equated with the Christian devil in a sense, that type of, of negative energy that resides in the between area that sees her remarkable healing abilities as an opportunity to strengthen its own power and then use that to extend its power into our human world and it works to convince her to let her to let to let it help her reach her goals first of returning to her body and family and then of becoming a world-class healer but she's it, it and we could say he because the name is Calazor, and he presents to her as a human being, a man um, who wants to be her manager. Mm. And it doesn't share with her this not-so-minor fact that her choice of whether she's going to do this or not will influence not only her future but also the future of the entire human world. Yes, yes. Now, before she has this accident, she is actually really able to, to heal people and I just wondered, if, is that something that that you could relate to? Is that something that you're able to do as well? Or did you relate to Stacy in, in many ways? Yes and no. First of all, the no part is that, according to Jared, and I really feel this is true, is that no one can heal anyone else. Mm-hmm. All we can do is act as channels for that energy to come through. 
and then the person themselves takes that energy at whatever level, and usually it's at multiple levels, that it's going to work and brings about the healing. So it's sort of a joint effort, but actually the source or God energy coming through, flowing through with the intent of the person acting as a channel for that healing. Right. So I the kind catalyst, of, yeah. The channel is, the, is, the, is doing the healing. Right. And I have, over the years, uh, done a fair amount of hands-on energy work. Um, I'm second-degree Reiki. I didn't do the master training because I didn't want to do that. But uh, where you just breathe in the light, in a sense, and let it come through, um, Jared has taught me a way of clearing negative energy out of a level where he says we store our negative energies and thoughts and emotions that he calls the pattern body. Uh, so that's a form of energy healing as well. And um, just I, I'm very interested in that kind of thing because I think that we have so much more ability to keep ourselves healthy and make ourselves healthy if we become ill, if we understand how that works. Yeah, I've taken Reiki 1 and 2 myself, and um, yeah, you, you, you are basically a channel. You're just letting God work through you, and you're just being that vessel to help with your hands, or you don't even have to touch somebody for you to do the Reiki. So No, you yeah. can do it long. Well, you can do other kinds long distance, too. <laughs> and uh, But the thing is that at, at some point somewhere, somebody's got to have intention for that to happen. Right. And if the receiver has some kind of belief that it's possible, at least, yes. that really emphasizes and helps the energy to work in the way that it needs to. Yes. So, it, and it's kind of a complex thing, and the person being channeling it through also is kind of acting as a catalyst at the same time, kind of, you know, jump-starting the other person's own ability to, to bring the healing in for themselves. Right, right. And when you do it, it's it's healing for the person who's doing the Reiki as well. It, it well, just... you're having that energy come through you, and it certainly can't do it without influencing you in some way, yes. <laughs> no, no, it's wonderful. And, you know, I did it on my dog who, ah. yeah, he. I've done it on uh, my last two dogs who both had cancer. One lived to be 13 after getting cancer at eight, and the other one oh. lived um, three, I just had to put him down recently, but uh. he was... He was a miracle, according to my vet, because none of her dogs had, with that particular type of cancer, had lived more than six months, and he went on three and a half years. So, he, uh. so you know, I really do believe in the um, in the the Reiki and using that and, and channeling that that healing energy. So I can really relate to that. And uh, well, and animals are so much more receptive because they're not thinking, "Oh, this can't work," or "Do I really deserve this?" or you know, all these things that we human beings get into. In our in our minds, yes, exactly. that can get in the way and do get in the way. Right, right. They just are so happy to have that energy, and they just open up and accept it. Usually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get back to your your book. Between, I think it's pretty fascinating. And what do you view as the pivotal characters and really the underlying concepts in, in well, your book? Yeah, yeah. The pivotal characters, of course, are Stacy. Yeah. Um, who is um, the the main character, but 
she isn't the only sort of main one. Right. <laughs> but the other most strongly pivotal, because we have light against dark or right. you know, whatever, you, however you want to think of it, the pivotal character is the one I mentioned before, Kalazor, the ominous being that uses her vulnerability mm. uh, and her ability, wants to use it and, and is sort of uh, conning her into thinking that he will help her uh, deal with some of the other, there are two major themes. Well, of course, one is the fact that I would like the book to help people understand that there is life after the body dies. We don't die, our bodies die, but we don't. But also the fact that it, it's based on the fact that choices are crucial. Mm. And we all choose all the time. And even if you don't, you say, well, I'm not going to choose. That's, That's a choice. A choice. <laughs> That's right. That is a choice. Right. And so uh, choice is it's crucial to the book because what happens at the end and the choice she must make there is really stemming out of a choice, and you probably know what it is since yeah. you've already read that yeah. far, yeah. <laughs> that happened a couple years maybe before the story starts. Yeah. And the choice she made at that time actually funnels into her being where she is in between and what happens uh, toward the end where she has to make this very, very critical choice that's going to affect our world uh, as well as just her own personal life. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, you're in Florida, and I was thinking about the Terry Schiavo case, you know, when she yeah. was in a coma, that it, it kind of jumped into my mind because you were, you know, you live in Florida, and that all happened in Florida. And and I also remember there was a woman on our block who um, was a young woman who uh, was in a coma for many, many years. She was, like, stuck inside. And then I just remember when my mother and my sister were in a coma before they passed on. And I knew, I knew that they could hear everything that I was saying. I knew it. And then I also knew that they might have been, what you you know, leaving the body like like Stacy did. You know, I knew that they might be doing that. And um, so it was, it was real fascinating to, to read that she as your protagonist had left her body and was outside of it looking in and seeing herself and made me think about that. And um, Oh, yeah, you've had personal experience then with it. Yes, and then also I, I remember I had a cousin who, um, when she had her third child, they left her alone in the recovery room and she bled to death. Oh. And, that, and then they came in and she was dead for about 20 minutes. And she after she came back, she talked about how she could see everything that was going on in the, in the um, operating room when they were trying to fix bring her back. And uh-huh. she explained everything that they did during that 20 minutes when she had no heartbeat. And she said that she was floating above her body watching uh-huh. all of this. And it, and she, you know, was trying to decide whether she'd come back because she had, you know, she actually kind of wanted to go and she saw a friend that had passed on a family friend that had passed on. And he said to her, go back. You're not ready. It's mm-hmm. not your time. Mm-hmm. Go back. And so she did, but it was a, it was a choice between going back to her baby and her children and her husband versus um, this 
glorious feeling that she had going the other way. So, right. you know, so yeah, I've, and I've read a lot about life after life, mm-hmm. you know, Ray, you know Raymond Moody's the, books, you know. That happens a lot, mm-hmm. apparently. Have you read Proof of Heaven yet by Eben Alexander? No, but I oh, have I read Raymond Moody's books. It. Yeah, you know who Raymond Moody is. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. He's the very first one, really, yes. to be taken seriously. And Brian, well, Ian and, Stevenson from the University of Virginia did do, but his is mostly real incarnation memories yeah. and children but and, uh, and brian weiss who's also yes, from florida but he's a lot later yes. than, than that yes uh, but yes there's some very and the interesting thing is that most of these people are doctors yes and i was just going to say that it gives a lot of credibility when you have raymond moody md and brian weiss md you know and dorsey right. md all these people who are you know, are are scholars in the area of medicine that they have experienced this also. So if you're listening to this and you think you're listening to a couple weirdos talking here (laughs) at the University of California, um, just know that uh, the kinds of things we're talking about that in this wonderful book, Between, which is a novel by Shelby Beckett, that even though we're talking about this, this is not um, hocus pocus. This stuff is, is a reality. It is a reality. It is, and it's interesting. There's one by someone named Perry Long, M.D., and he has something. It's called Evidence of the Afterlife, and he's a doctor who actually has a near-death experience research foundation in Durf. And for over 10 years, they've been collecting from all over the world experiences of people and classifying them and quantifying, you know, according to this many people have seen the tunnel with the light at the end of it, out of this many. And he starts out, the the title is Evidence of the Afterlife, but by the time he's finished, he said, I don't even think of it as evidence anymore. I think of it as proof. Interesting. That's great. And he he's a an MD, and yeah. so is Doctor Alexander Eben Alexander. Proof of Heaven is either first or second. It seems to bounce back and forth on the the bestseller list these days. That's great. Yeah, and I'll, it's I'll pick it fascinating. up. Fascinating. Yes, I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. Now you also mention in your book about thought forms. So let's talk a little bit. Are what are thought forms and how do they affect us? Well, thought forms are interesting things. They can actually, Kalazor himself uh, is a thought form, a huge, massive thought form, which according to Jared is, is what the Christian devil actually is, because everything is God, there's nothing opposed to itself there. So it's all the, the dichotomy that we live in here is set up that way in order to promote a certain type of learning and growth, uh, which includes the light, dark, good, evil, you know, this kind of thing. And he says that, and Kalazor is based on this, that this is a compilation of millions of years, perhaps, from whenever man first began to think and conceive of uh, forces outside himself that influenced his life and her life, um, that gather and are sort of conglomerated into a unit. And so... He says that if everybody stopped believing in that negative energy, and let's call it the devil, uh, that instantaneously it would disappear. Mm. It would be gone because it is a mass mind creation. Fascinating. And for personal ones, we can um, create our own personal thought forms in a lot of ways. They may not manifest physically, but sometimes our beliefs become so rigid 
that they actually take on the, the quality of a thought form, mm. that they become realities to us. Yeah. And again, if we changed our minds, those particular realities would shift and that particular thought form would then dissipate. And, you know, Shelby, people forget that that they have choices about what they think. If they have the choice to create whatever they want. So if they create um, negativity, if they're thinking negativity, they're going to create negativity. If they're thinking positive and love and all the all the you know, positive things that that's what's going to be created. So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we are out of time. So this is a wonderful book between by Shelby Beckett. And Shelby, why don't you just give your website and then we're going to have to go. Okay. It's just www.shelbybeckett, S-H-E-L-B-Y-B-E-C-K-E-T-T, two T's, dot com. Well, thank you so much, and this is a wonderful book, and I hope that we get a chance to talk again. If you have another book, you'll let me know, right? I will indeed. Okay, thanks so so much, Shelby. Thank you, Mari. Okay, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can download podcasts you can see our upcoming guests you can see some of the articles that we have on conflict healing and you can write us about what's of importance to you about healing conflict in your life and the world thank you in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.